Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Hope at Crossroads. We're here to serve you in any way that we can. For more information about our resources or our church, you can check out hope at crossroads.org. Online, you can find access to other resources like devotionals and study books. Thanks again for joining us. And now let's start this week's message. Amen. Thank you, worship team. If you've got your Bible, if you'll open to Romans chapter 2 this morning as we continue our study in there. And while you are turning there, uh, I want to say thank you to you as a church. I love you guys more than you know. Uh, And I'm also grateful for uh, Brandon and his boldness to do things that are out of the box uh, because all of us, if we're honest... I appreciate the vulnerability of so many of you. If we're all honest, we all can say there have been times in our life where we doubted the goodness of God. And uh, at least I can be honest and say that's been true of me. And the reality is God is good. Thank you. All the time. Okay, just making sure you're with me this morning. Uh, he is good. He is good. And the enemy would have us think that he's not as good as we uh, need to think that he is. He is a good, loving, gracious God and uh, incredible Father. Last week we talked about, uh, we looked at Romans chapter 1, uh, which set the stage, uh, Paul's letter to the church at Rome, telling us uh, how uh, we should not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all that believe. And we talked a little bit about that. As we get into chapter 2, um, before we read, I'll just kind of tell you, as we get into chapter 2, Paul is kind of like addressing uh, the comparison game. I don't know if you do this. You probably don't because you're much more spiritual than me. But there are times in my life where I look at different people and uh, think, well, you know, wow, I'm not really as bad as they are or uh, I'm more talented than they are or whatever make judgment calls. Some of that is because of our fleshly nature that we that we wrestle with. And when we get into this chapter, Paul is addressing that kind of mentality of the comparison game. Because what he's going to say, and hopefully you'll dig into this a little bit more in your small group time, uh, because we're only going to get maybe to verse 5 this morning. Uh, What he's going to say is that when you do that, you are forgetting that at the foot of the cross, all of us are the same. I've heard preachers and pastors say, The ground is level at the foot of the cross, which just means simply, in Christ's eyes, we are all the same. We have the same struggles and the same things that that go on this morning. I I was going to attempt to rap this morning, which would have been a little scary. Brandon, we needed somebody up here to do some drums. I know Steve Graham is a great rapper, right? Maybe, maybe not. Okay, he could try. Uh, but I, I was going to wrap because it, re, this chapter reminds me of the story in the Bible where the uh, Pharisee comes into the temple to pray. You remember, and he comes in and he offers this great prayer and kind of points to the tax collector who's at the altar and just, the Lord, I'm glad I'm not like him. I'm so much better. Uh, and I found this rap uh, online. Uh, I'm a righteous man. That's how I live my life. I'm adored by my kids and I'm good to my wife. To the temple I come every day to pray. It's just not hard. It's just the way. I'm a Pharisee and I'm proud of that. I follow the law, the begets and the begats. It's my job, you see, 
to supervise the crowd. The Romans don't like it when they get too loud. You see, God has given these laws to follow. 613, that's a lot to swallow. So it's the godly law I administrate. I'm good at it, never made a mistake. Now, the worst of the lot are those taxing guys. You can spot them a mile away with a look in their eyes. Why, there's one now. Just look at his sin. He may seem sad, but he's wearing a grin. But before I go, there's something else I should say. I'm in the temple, so I better pray. Thank you, God, for making me so good. Not like this guy that's from the hood. Amen. I mean, amen. I was hoping I could find a teenage. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I will have my rap CDs available after the service for $10. No. I was hoping I could find one of our teenagers to do that this morning, and then I remembered they're not here. They're in uh, West Virginia, and they're, most of them on their winter conference. But that is the mentality of our culture, actually. And Paul addresses this in the next chapter because what we can start to do and what the people he's writing to in Rome were starting to do is to think that some goodness, even a minimal amount of goodness in and of themselves, justified them. Uh, in the eyes of Christ, which we know that's not true. So let's read it together. Romans chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, let's just stop right there. You know by now, anytime you see the word therefore, you need to ask the question, what is it therefore? And it's therefore everything he's already said in chapter 1. So if you reread chapter 1 and you get to chapter 2, he's saying what he's getting ready to tell us in light of what he has already told us in chapter 1. Okay, so chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore you are without excuse, every man of you who passes judgment, for in that you judge another, you condemn yourself, for you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. Do you suppose this, old man, when you pass judgment upon those who practice such things and Do the same thing yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God. Or do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself in the days of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds." That last verse, church family. Man, as, as one of the pastors, as one of the leaders of this church, that verse haunts me. It should haunt you too. Because every one of us will get from the Lord at our day of judgment what we deserve. Hopefully, crowns that we will lay at His feet for the good things that we've done. Or we will be chastised for the times that we've missed the mark. There will be a judgment. Thankfully for the grace of God, for those of us who know Christ, we have that to lean upon. And so he says, let's just go back in verse 1. He says to this group of people he's writing to, the Romans, practice the same things. You condemn those who practice the same things. It's interesting. He's actually looking at them and calling out the moralist people in this city and condemning them because they've been judging other people, but are yet guilty of the same things that they're passing judgment on, not necessarily the same exact things. That word same things means not necessarily the identical actions, but the same types of sin. And so he's challenging them to consider, as somebody said, uh, the sin of the Jews was the same as the Greeks, 
and the Romans. And that sin is what separates us from our relationship with Christ. And so Paul's objective here as he's writing to these people is not just to convict them of unrighteousness. He's wanting to totally tear down any wrong mentality that they might have to think that just the good things that they do outweighs the bad things. Now, I talk to people all the time right here in the Five Forks area and as I travel and right here in town. And occasionally, if the Lord opens up that opportunity, I will ask that question. So, uh, do you think you're going to go to heaven when you die? Well, yeah, I think I think I might be. I have a 50-50 shot. Well, that's that's really scary to think that that's your God's going to one day roll the dice when you leave this earth. And if it's, you know, or flip a coin. Okay, today it's heads. Guess what? You're going to heaven today. Nope, the coin turned the wrong way. You're, you're out of here. Some people think that. Another common misconception that I hear among people is, well, I think I've been good enough. And that one is a huge one, especially in North American mindset. Well, I have been good, or I have been just as good as so-and-so. Or sometimes even more so, if I'm able to have a longer conversation with this person, they will say, I'm just as good as so-and-so that goes to such-and-such church. Because they will compare, compare themselves to other people that they see. And in our culture, I would say this to us. Being moral does not give us an escape from the wrath of God. What does? The blood of Jesus Christ. And yet we live in a culture where a lot of people think, if I'm just good enough, God will be pleased with me. And if you and I could be good enough, then Christ's death on the cross was unnecessary. And so this is the group of people that he's writing to that have that mindset that, well, I'm judging how good I am based on how good so-and-so is, and they have three check marks on their list of good things they've done, and I have eight check marks on good things, so I'm, I'm okay. And can I just tell you, sometimes even as a pastor, preacher, minister, guy, Sunday school, small group teacher, leader in a church, we can tend to think that our good stuff is what makes us acceptable to God. And the good news is that we sung about already in song is that God's goodness because of his grace and because of his sacrifice on the cross, that's what enables us to come into his presence and to have life eternal on this earth which starts the moment you say yes to Jesus. And life eternal in heaven is because of the goodness of God. It's not because of anything that I bring to the table. Yes, God loves me and he loves you. But it's God's goodness. And then Paul says something very interesting where we're kind of just kind of rest this morning. He asks this question. I love when the scripture asks questions because I am a person who asks a lot of questions. Some of you have kids or maybe nieces or nephews that ask tons of questions. Tons of questions. And Paul asks this question. And who do you suppose... This, O man, when you pass judgment upon those who practice such things, verse 3, and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Some translations, I think the King James throws the word goodness in there. God is good. God is kind. God is loving. God loves you. 
and the world and our circumstances, as Brandon alluded to, and even the enemy would try to get us to doubt God's goodness. As a matter of fact, if you go all the way back to Genesis, you'll remember when we studied Genesis, the very reason Adam and Eve flirted with temptation is because of the question that the serpent asked them began this mentality in their mind to think, oh, maybe God's not that good. Maybe God is withholding something from me. Guess what? The enemy's tactics have not changed. The good news is, once you figure out what the enemy's tactics are, you're pretty much good, because he's not going to come up with any new tactic. He is not the creator. God is the creator. So all the tactics that the enemy is going to use are the same things he's used all throughout history, even in the Old Testament. So to get us in 2024 to start doubting God's goodness, oh, maybe God is withholding this to me because I've done something to make him angry. Maybe God is withholding his goodness from me because I have not measured up and I missed my quiet time two days last week. Come on now, don't look at me weird. We all think of these things sometimes and it's the enemy trying to get us to doubt the goodness of God. God's goodness to you and I is not dependent upon our performance. He loves us. Now, because of God's goodness, it should cause us to want to do things to please our Heavenly Father. But as we talked about last week, not out of duty, but out of a desire to love Him as He first loved us. So he mentioned some very important words in this verse that I want us to think about this morning. Verse 4, do you, do you think lightly of the riches, King James Version says, of His goodness? Let's start with that one, the word goodness. What is Goodness. Goodness is God's kindness in regard to our past sin. God is good because what God should give me is to give me death. The wages of sin, what I have earned because of my sin is death, but the free gift, the free gift of God, His goodness, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So God's goodness is His kindness to me in regard to my past sin. He's been good to you, he's been good to me, not because, because he's not judged us yet, though we deserve it. So here's a question this morning. When you think about God's goodness, and so many of us, hopefully all of us raised our hand, and we can think of a time in our life when God has been good. Here's another question. Are you thankful for God's kindness, for God's goodness, for your past? That God has disregarded In some way, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more in just a minute, he's disregarded temporarily at least the sin of your past. He's paid for it with his death on the cross. That is God's goodness to you. So if you ever doubt, if you ever doubt, church family, if you ever doubt, Christian, child of God, if you ever doubt this morning God's goodness, you can know for sure there's one aspect of God's goodness you can take to the bank. God is good to you and I because he does not give us what we deserve. It's because of his mercy. If I get out here on Woodruff Road, and I get road rage, and I get angry with somebody, and I run somebody off the road into a telephone pole, and I go to the court, and I'm standing before the judge, and the judge says, I know you've already asked that person forgiveness. I already know your insurance is going to take care of it. I know you guys are right. But according to the law, according to what just happened, what would you say? I wouldn't say, give me justice, judge. I would not say that. I would say, give me mercy. I was out of my mind. 
I was listening to the wrong music on the radio and it made me angry. Or what, I would come up with something. Give me mercy. Give me mercy. And God's goodness to us is his mercy in that we don't get what we deserve. I could go home this morning after just hearing that. Because you see a guy up here who's preaching and teaching and a part of this church life. But what you don't know, that only God knows, is the 55 years of history. And before I came to know Christ, the 18 years of history before I came really to know Christ, of things that I did that were in direct rebellion to God. And yet, because of God's goodness, because of God's goodness, incredible goodness, incredible goodness, I'm standing up here. It's not because of anything I got. It's not because of any degree. It's not because of any education. It's not because of it. It's only because of the goodness of God. He's good. He loves you. And so he has not judged us for those past sins. His kindness to us. He actually judged Christ. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. So all the bad things that you could think about in your past that you might struggle with even to this day that you look at and you go, wow, I did that. God, I can't believe I did that. Can I just set you free or the Holy Spirit sets you free this morning, I hope, and realize God loves you and His goodness has already taken care of that. So if you're wallowing in that, and the devil is great about reminding us of our past. Oftentimes I've heard a friend say this. The next time the enemy reminds you of, his, of, of your past, remind him of his future. Because one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. The goodness of God. But then he mentions a second word there. He says, do you think lightly of the riches of his goodness or his kindness... And forbearance. What is forbearance? Forbearance is his kindness in regard to our present sin. More than likely, I'll confess. Some of us already have sinned today. And it's still early. (laughs) Don't argue with that waitress when you go to lunch today. Leave a good tip. All right, leave a good tip. But God's forbearance is His kindness to us in our present state. Uh, When I was in school and in college, I had to get a forbearance when I graduated. Some of you had to do this. You, You know what I'm talking about? Where I had student loans that had accumulated. And when I graduated, what was supposed to happen was within a certain amount of time, a couple of those loans, they like, when, when you get that diploma, we want our money. And I'm going, <laughs> that's not going to happen. Because <laughs> I don't have that much money, and I don't have a J-O-B yet. So we have a problem. We're going to figure this out. And so what I did was, I filled out some paperwork and submitted it to the South Carolina student loan people. And what I was able to do was give, a, give them information so that I could receive a forbearance, which meant this. It meant that they would temporarily restrain what was due to a later time. 
And so God's forbearance to us is his restraining and waiting and holding off and not giving us, again, what is due to us. Because the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's God's self-control and his restraint and his, this is a great word that our culture likes to use and they don't know actually what it means. So next time you hear this, throw this in, throw this back at them. Tolerance. The person who knows tolerance more than any other person who's ever lived is the Lord Jesus Christ, who has been tolerant of us, some of us who are even his children, who continue to live in current sin, and his forbearance is he's, he's waiting, he's waiting. Why is he waiting? We're going to answer that in just a minute. Why would God kind of sit and wait, his forbearance, self-control? The process of temporarily pausing in action until, until later. And here's some questions. As you know, I write these down for me. These aren't for you. They, if they work for you, feel free to jot them down. But here's some questions I wrote down for myself. Jack, is there sin currently right now in your life? Is there something you need to ask God to cleanse? Are you wanting more of God in 2024? Because the reality is, these are notes to me, sin will keep you from more of Him. And his forbearance is his kindness. He's waiting. Why would he be waiting? We're going to answer that in a minute. Why would he be waiting? And the other word that he mentions there, Paul says, not only his goodness or kindness and forbearance, but he says, patience, some translations say long-suffering. What would long-suffering, what does that mean? Long-suffering is God's kindness in regard to our future sin. The reality is, God knows us so well that he knows. Next Tuesday, somebody is going to make me angry. And I'm going to lose my, I don't know this, by the way, I'm just hypothesizing, I'm just guessing here. But God, in His sovereignty, because He knows the beginning and the end, He knows no time, He knows that sometime in the future I'm going to sin. And yet, in His kindness, He has already decided He is going to be long-suffering. If you have kids or nieces or nephews, you already know. Mom, dad, uncle, aunt, grandma, Paul. you already know they're going to make mistakes next week, next month. They're going to come to your house and they're going to turn it upside down. And when you leave, you're going to go, praise God, they are gone for a while. I'll be glad when they come back, but they are gone for a while. But the reality is, we don't stop loving them. No, our Heavenly Father is the same way. He's long-suffering. He knows that we're going to sin tomorrow and the next day probably, and probably the next day, probably the next day. But his long-suffering causes him to withhold judgment against us. That is mind-blowing to me. I'm so glad, and you're so glad, that I'm not God because I would not put up with that. (laughs) What? You're going to do that next week? And you're a child of God. You're going to do that next week? Pink, zip, you know. God doesn't do that to us. Aren't you grateful? Man, I'm grateful. God, His goodness, His kindness, His long-suffering, His forbearance. And what's interesting is all those great words, powerful words that Paul uses to describe the kindness of God, then he says this, 
When he introduces those words, he uses another word that's very strong. Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness? I want to tell you something this morning. I don't know how much money you got in your checking account or in your wallet or in your purse or in your piggy bank. Based on the authority of God's word, I want to tell every one of us something this morning. We are rich. We are rich. We are rich. We have the goodness of God, the forbearance of God, the huge kindness of God, the patience of God, the long-suffering of God. Paul says those are riches. Those are like things to go in your savings account, your piggy bank. Put those in the bank. Take it to the bank because those are the riches of God's incredible mercy to us. Why in the world are they rich? Why would he give those to us? These riches... Four things that come to my mind, I'll mention real quick. I don't know if these are on the screen, if you want to jot these down in your notes. When you think about God's incredible riches, His mercy, it brings to mind four things. One, of, one thing is His greatness. God is, God is the greatest person ever. So He could choose to operate and have any kind of attribute or character that He wants to have. But He has chosen To grant us mercy. His omniscience. I thought about this. If someone knew all of your sin, would they show you mercy? Probably not. Because we live in a culture, matter of fact, our society takes great joy when sin is discovered in somebody's life. We like to put it all over social media and we like to tear them down. And even in the church, even in the church, even in the church, we like to do that. And we like to, a lot of people say this, Shoot our wounded in the back. And yet the fact of the matter is, God in His omniscience, who knows everything, beginning in everything that you've done, everything that you've thought, everything that you've practiced, God in His omniscience shows us mercy. It's an amazing thing. His power. His power. God could settle every single wrong that's been done to Him And he did on the cross by giving sacrifice of his son because he is rich in mercy. And the object of his mercy, who's the object of his mercy? Wow, mere man, you and I, the object of his mercy. So he says all these things. Why is he saying all these things? Why is God practicing forbearance? Why is he practicing long-suffering? Why is he practicing patience? I'm so glad you asked. I know you were going to ask that question. So let me tell you why he does that. The scripture tells us why. These riches of kindness, forbearance, and patience. These things, he says in verse 4, are the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. In other words, knowing how good God is. His greatness, His kindness, His forbearance. He's doing those things to lead us to repentance. In other words, when you see God being gracious and kind and good, even to people who flaunt God, who make fun of God, who don't even believe in God, you may look at that, at least I do sometimes, and go, God, why are you leaving them on the planet? 
They don't love you. They don't like you. They hate you. They use your name in profanity. They use your name. Why in the world are you leaving them on the planet? And you know what God would say to you and me? Because the kindness of God, I am praying and hoping God is, that that kindness will lead them to repentance. In other words, God is waiting. God is waiting. Much like he did for a young guy who played church Walked the aisle, shook the pastor's hand, got ducked in the baptistry, filled out the card, had perfect attendance and all those things, yet would have busted hell wide open if he'd have died. God waited on me all those years, teenage years, till I finally actually committed my life to him because of his kindness. Wasn't because he was wanting to, I'm just going to let him get away with it for a little bit longer. I'm just going to let him have a little fun. That's not what God was doing. God was mercifully waiting For his kindness to lead me to repentance, much as his prayer is for all of us, that that would be the case. The challenge for us, especially if you're like me and you've grown up in church for a long time, is that because we know how great God's kindness is, we can start to presume upon the graciousness of God. And then when we start to presume, we easily start to Convince ourselves that we actually deserve God's kindness. And when we start to think that way, we who are older are 55 and up, that's me. Start to do something that we say we don't like to see in the younger folks, and that is we begin to have an entitlement mentality. That we begin to think, well, I've been going to church, Lord, for so many years that I deserve or I've been doing this and I deserve, I, I, I can be that way. Or God, I've faithfully served you for so long. Why would you let my car break down, God, when I've been faithfully serving you for so long? I mean, I can be that way. I've been that way. Like saying to God Almighty, you owe me. <laughs> and God's going, hold on. Hold on. Let's just talk about what I've already paid for you. I'm speaking to myself this morning, by the way. When we start to have that mentality, the enemy is starting to win victory in our life, in our mind. By the way, I've discovered if you lose here, you lose here. And if you lose here, you lose in life and in action and interaction with people. We talked about that when we studied the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, about the battle for the mind. And the enemy is so crafty. He's so crafty and cunning, especially when he's trying to get those of us who are trying to live godly lives, which is the vast majority, if not everybody in this congregation, who want to serve God with all of our heart, who want to please God with all of our heart. And the devil starts kind of starts teasing us. That's why the scripture says, take captive every thought to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Because we can, we can let a thought get in here and then start to entertain those things. What's interesting is we have people in our culture, you see them, I see them, media and in our world. Men who often think that forbearance and long-suffering that God is demonstrating is one of his weaknesses. Well, I hear comments like this from some people in the media and celebrities. Well, if there's a God in heaven, let him just show up right now. If there's a God in heaven, I'm going to do this. Let him strike me dead if I don't need to do that. It's like, you don't know who you're messing with when you start talking like that. 
And yet there are people in our culture, that's their, that's their language. We misinterpret God's forbearance and long-suffering as like He's approving of these things. We look at what's going on in our culture. I don't have to tell you this, you already know. We look at what's going on in our world. And we see all the chaos of, and confusion. And those of us who know Christ are praying that God would intervene and He would change our world, change our country, reroute us back to God. And we look at what's happening in the mindset of a lot of people. And, you know, their mindset, well, if God was real, God would do something. Oh, He will. He will. You might not want to pray that too quickly because He is standing waiting in His long-suffering and His forbearance and His goodness. It's easy to misunderstand the goodness of God when you don't realize that He's being good and kind and forbearing and long-suffering because He is waiting for us to repent and to turn our hearts and our minds and our attention to Him. You know, when you and I understand that, maybe this morning as we've talked about this and read this verse, here's some reminders that I jotted down for myself as I think about the goodness of God. Let me just, and I'm happy to email these or print these out. These are just things I wrote down for me. There's about seven of them, six of them. God's been better to me than I deserve. God has shown me kindness when I have ignored Him. God has shown me kindness even when I have mocked Him. God is not a cruel master. And anytime I want, I can safely surrender my desires and my heart and myself to Him. Anytime I want. Anytime He will allow me. God is perfectly willing to forgive me and to forgive you. God should be served out of simple gratitude. You know, what's interesting as you read this and as we get further into the book of Romans... God does not drive like with a cattle prod most often. Occasionally he might. But most often when it comes to his repentance, he does not drive us to repentance. He leads us like a shepherd, like a loving father to repentance. And in the New Testament, I know oftentimes maybe even I've incorrectly done this, if I have, forgive me, as the, as the preacher, pastor guy. We think about this word repentance and we think of it in a negative concept like, you're going the wrong way, turn around, repent. That is a part of it, but that's only one part of it. Repentance means more than that. There's a positive aspect to repentance. We tend to think about the side of repentance as more remorseful. Like, I'm sorry, God, I, I shouldn't have done this. I made a mistake. You know, forgive me. That, that is a part of repentance. But the other part of repentance is so important is it means turning away from what we're doing wrong and turning toward what is right and serving God in active service for His glory. And we, and I, we can only do that, you and I can only do that because of one thing, the goodness of God. The goodness of God. So this morning, I don't know what God would be saying to you today when it comes to kindness. I, I will say this for me. It's much easier much easier for me to be kind when I understand how kind God has been to me. 
You know, one of the great attributes of this church, long before I ever, long before I ever came here, maybe long before most of you came here, is the reputation of being a friendly place. Praise God. An equally healthy commendation about our fellowship would be that we are also a kind place. And maybe this morning, uh, you just need to thank God for His kindness. For his forbearance, for his long-suffering, for his patience. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know what God's doing in your life all the time. Maybe there's somebody in this room to whom you need to go say, I have not been kind to you. And I want my life to reflect the kindness of God because God has been kind to me. So maybe that's somebody you need to get with this morning. I don't know what God would have you do. I'm going to ask Brandon if he would. Just to play quietly this morning. Would you stand with me and let's pray. Father, thank you. Your kindness leads us to repentance. It's even your hesitation, your waiting, your delaying what we deserve. That your son already paid the price for, for those of us who know you, Jesus. Your kindness, your goodness has done that. Nothing that we have or bring to the table. So we thank you this morning for your goodness, your kindness, your mercy, your forbearance, your patience. Lord, more than anything, more than anything, you you know my heart, God. You know my heart. I'm so glad you do. Oh, that we would be known. We already are known as a church that's so friendly that we would also be known as a church that is kind to one another and kind to others because we know And we're thankful for the kindness of God. Church, this morning as you're praying, I don't know what God would have you to do today. Maybe it's to pray there where you are seated or where you're standing. Maybe it's to slip out of the aisle and go grab somebody and maybe confess to them. I I don't know. I don't know what God's saying. Would you obey him with whatever it is? I'm just ask Brandon, just continue to play quietly. And if you need to slip out of that row, I'll be here at the front this morning. Pray with you and encourage you. You can come to the front and pray as well. Maybe today you'd say, you know what? I want to be a part of a church like Crossroads that values friendliness and kindness and the attributes of God. I want to be a part of that kind of church. If you are, Maybe you're here today for the first time or you've been visiting for weeks or months and you'd say, today's the day I want to be a part of this church. I'll be here to receive you. Whatever God's laid on your heart, just in this time, this moment of of quiet reflection, I pray that you would just do business with the Lord and I'll say amen in just a moment. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Hope at Crossroads. We're so glad that you joined us for the message today. If Pastor Jack or any of our team can serve you, please reach out to us. You can send us an email at jack at hope at crossroads.org or by visiting our website. We would be most grateful to know where you are listening because we have people all over the world listening to our podcast. You can send us a message through our website. We would appreciate your prayers for us as we are in the midst of a building campaign to reach more children and families in our local community in Greenville County, South Carolina. If you would like to help, you can always make your gift online at our website, hope at crossroads.org. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Hope at Crossroads. 